Talo falava o waunei o Koroe Hawkins ni si Maya Laufa fofonga ile Pacific Waves RNZ Pacifica. Coming up first... Every one of them has expressed the view that this is a bad thing and that we, the profession, should step up and be heard. Ronaldo lawyers are concerned with the government's proposed constitutional reforms. A bit later on, we speak with Tamara Tulitua, this year's emerging Pacifica writer and residence at the Vic Uni. Many things, but I think the key thing is space and time. But before that... <laughs> Samoan RSC workers in Hawke's Bay welcome the visit by their Prime Minister, Fiamme Naomi Matafa. Members of the Vanuatu legal profession say the government pushed to have the Chief Justice put on a five-year contract is out of order. As is the practice in most countries, Vanuatu judges are currently appointed for life to ensure they are not beholden to any one party. The government has been trying to bring Parliament together to pass a series of constitutional reforms, including moving the Chief Justice to a limited term. But both the opposition and a party within the coalition are opposed to many of the changes and boycotted last week's sitting and plan to do the same this Friday. The group of lawyers bought advertising in the Vanuatu Daily Post newspaper on Thursday to point out the flaws they saw in the government's approach. Port Vila lawyer Gary Blake told Don Wiseman how it all came about. I sent an email out to members in the profession on a sort of a chat email uh, group and received quite a number of responses. I've also received a number of responses direct to me when I've run into lawyers up at the court and so on. And with uh, no exceptions, every one of them has expressed the view that this was a bad thing and that we, the profession, should um, step up and and be heard um, as to the implications of it for the country, for the administration of justice in the country and for the respect for the independence of the judiciary and the integrity of the judiciary in the country. It's something that, in a small country like this, it can have immediate unsettling consequences in the community. So we decided to put together an advertorial, if you can call it that, in the the paper today and uh, to express the profession's objections. I can't say I speak for everyone in the profession because I didn't get responses from everyone, but uh, I got responses from a large majority, so it's expressed as being from concerned members of the profession. What precisely is it that the Lothman government wants to do here? It's difficult to know what, where the driving force for the amendment came from, but today the, the Prime Minister's party has come out in the press and said that uh, they're not in support of it. Whether that's been from day one or whether that's a, a more recent development, but it was tabled somewhat out of the blue last Friday in Parliament, is what I first heard about it last Friday evening, and it had been tabled without any prior warning, without any prior consultation, without any prior reference to its existence last Friday, and it is scheduled to be dealt with this Friday, and we sort of moved into action as a result. Putting the Chief Justice on a limited-term contract is typically, of course, uh, judges uh, appointed for life, aren't they? Yeah, correct. And uh, all the judges of the Supreme Court under the Constitution are... um, appointed for life, subject to obviously misconduct issues that may give grounds for termination or otherwise retirement. But otherwise, they're there for life and they have that security of tenure. But And this is the first instance we've seen of any attempt to, um, to put limits on that. We have foreign judges that come here on fixed-term contracts. We've got a judge from New Zealand here at the moment, and we've had New Zealand judges here for many years now on a, on a rotational basis. But that's a slightly different kettle of fish. But in this case, we've, we've got a Chief Justice who's been in the role 
firstly he's been acting for many years before his full-time appointment was confirmed, but he's been in the role now since about 97, 98. And obviously during that time, if you speak to people in the in the legal profession in Australia and New Zealand who are familiar with the goings-on here, they will um, all confirm that the integrity and the independence of the judiciary here could never, ever be brought into question. It's, it's dealt with many sensitive constitutional crises. It's dealt with the prosecution of 14 members of parliament for bribery. And I'm sure every politician, if you ask them, has been on the winning side and the losing side of cases in the Supreme Court. There's never any suggestion of favouritism one way or the other. But uh, our concern was that when you start dealing with terms for judges and the renewal of those terms, the termination of those terms, sorry, the expiry of those terms, at least in the public, there's a risk for there being a perception that the judges are becoming beholden to politicians who ultimately have a say in their appointment. You mentioned the the 14 MPs who were convicted of bribery uh, some years ago. Do you think this is a factor? that the current load of uh, politicians is thinking, well, we'll make sure this doesn't happen to us. Uh, I don't know about that. The Chief Justice is only one of the judges on the court, but he has ultimate responsibility for the administration of the court. Chief Justice Winnebeck has enormous respect, and, and I'd say across the board. So I don't know that you can necessarily jump to the view that it's, it's aimed at him or that it's for defensive reasons. That might be a view that people might take, but I don't know that there's anything to suggest straight off the bat that, that that's the motivation behind it. It may be that uh, people just think that there's terms for other people in, in high places in the community, like the President and the Auditor General, the same should apply to the Chief Justice, without turning their mind to the implications of, of a term applying in those, in those circumstances. So it could be quite innocent, who knows? But whether it was innocent or not, it was important that voices who understood the potential implications of it spoke up about it. And I'm glad that we as a profession were able to, to express our views. And I'm also glad that the Prime Minister and his party and the coalition government could see the huge downsides associated with it and uh, have walked away from their support for it. Samoa's Prime Minister has paid a visit to Samoan seasonal workers in Hawke's Bay. Yame Naomi Matafa was welcomed to the region with an emotional Ava ceremony. Seasonal workers, their bosses, church leaders and the Samoan community members poured their hearts out, greeting Fiamme on her first official visit there. RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis was there. Fiamme Naome Mata'afa thanked her community, a home away from home, for their warm welcome. While this visit is about building on deep relationships, there is a small grey cloud lingering over the REC worker scheme. Supervisor Solomona Kelemona Kele Kolio says he is here for his family, but he says some workers do have problems. The most important, uh, the most bad uh, issue of coming up about uh, drinking the alcohol, and some of the some of the boys they they go away from the accommodation, mm. and some of the boys they break the rules from uh, uh, company like uh, they doing uh, fighting, mm. and anything uh, problem happen with uh, inside the accommodation they break the 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 items from the accommodation. 
Stanley Fa'alanu, known as Silao by his team, works under Kele Mona Kele Kolio. He knows what happens to those who run into trouble. There will be consequences. Yeah, because our leader reports us to our company and the company says it's time to stay home. They will come back because we can't handle ourselves because, because it's time to work hard and get money for our family. Silao is 22 years old. His wife, parents and three-year-old son are all back in Samoa. He has not seen them for six months. I miss my family and also especially my parents. I miss my parents yeah, because I don't have a sister. There's only one brother, but he's in Australia. But that's why I get this kind of work to build my family and support my parents. But one thing tying him to his roots is the way Yummy Fruit, the company he works for, operates. He says it's like a Samoan village at their accommodation here in Hawke's Bay. A team of workers with customs and a curfew. We are used to Samoan culture in in way in the in in the work, in the way we work, the way we talk, in the way the way we act, show some respect, no drinking, no smoking, just stay home, just listen to our leaders. Like Silao, Kelemona Kele Kolio is keeping his head down and working hard. I like picking, uh, I like pruning, and everything. He has been away from his family for over a year and wants to bring his whole family over to work. Even his mum, Kelemona Kelekolio, and the boys attended the special Ava ceremony. But the part of the night where the workers get to share their stories with the Prime Minister was cut short as the ceremony was running overtime. This is what Kelemona Kelekolio wanted to tell his Prime Minister. Uh, this job is the most important to have with uh, family at Samoa. Without RC worker coming in New Zealand. I think that there are many families at Samoa, no one to cut the money to support family at Samoa. A plea for their Prime Minister to ramp up flights and allow workers to keep flowing into Aotearoa steadily. Residents in Norfolk Island are pleading with the Australia Federal Government to stop the soaring increases to rates and waste management being proposed by the Canberra-appointed administration on the island. They are preparing a petition to highlight their concerns. The head of the Accommodation and Tourism Association, or ATA, Rail Donde, told Don Wiseman the increased charges will hit his members particularly hard. The council is looking to tax the community another $2.37 million in increases to rates, fees and charges. And uh, we've just conducted a business survey amongst all of our members who are in the tourism and accommodation sectors. And 72% of the respondents indicate that the impact will be either severe or drastic. And another 22% have indicated that uh, the impact will be strong. So if you add those two together, it's about 94%. Can we just talk about what these increases are, what are they increasing? 
Yeah, so they, there's two main areas. One is the waste management levy. Um, so they're looking to take an additional million dollars out of the community to cover the expenses that the council will incur for waste management. And so that in itself, the waste management uh, levy will impact the individual accommodation properties on Norfolk Island by 247%. So there's a 247% increase in the waste management levy from the current year to the new year that's starting on the 1st of July. And then the other area is the land rates. And so they're proposing to increase the land rates by an additional 38%. The revenue that would flow to the council would be an additional 38%. So for individual businesses, that's an increase of 318% businesses in the accommodation sector. They would incur an, an additional 318% increase in uh, land rates that they're currently paying. They are significant figures, aren't they? But your rates are very low at the moment. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it as low. This is a small uh, tax base on Norfolk Island. Uh, we've just been through three years of a pandemic and um, our occupancy rate is at 28% and the visitor numbers are down 27%. And so um, that indicates that even if you consider the rates being low, they're unaffordable in terms of the increases that are being proposed. So there, there, are, there are better ways to do it. I mean, you can broaden the tax base. There are only about a, a thousand residences and a handful of businesses on Norfolk Island. There are only about 160 businesses. Um, so it's a tiny tax base and it's just not affordable for a small community like this to pay these increases. Uh, businesses are quite happy to pay their way but it needs to be affordable and it needs to be sustainable and it needs to be equitable. You say that these are proposals, but they're coming in on the 1st of July, so they're in place now. Well, they're not in place yet. Um, so the council is required to put their proposed increases out for exhibition. So it's a draft operational plan. Uh, these are proposed charges, but um, it, in all likelihood, they will become permanent on the 1st of July. So we have until the 22nd of June to do submissions to the council, uh, which the ATA has just completed and about to submit to the council. And uh, we've also had discussions with the council about the impact that these proposed charges will have on the, on the economy and on the tourism sector. And so, yeah, this is the exhibition period. So theoretically, they are still proposed charges and they haven't become law yet. There's been a lot of antipathy toward the Canberra administration on Norfolk Island, hasn't there, by a lot of people anyway? Yes. I know there's been this talk of various rates, and there are other, besides the one you've, the ones you've talked about, there are other levies that are going into place as well. And there's been this knowledge for a long time that the place is not exactly rolling in money. What is the administration saying to people about all of this? We don't have an elected council at the moment, so we have an appointed council administrator who makes all the decisions, and uh, we've met with him, and his uh, viewpoint is that uh, we cannot keep looking to the federal government to bail us out uh, financially, and that we need to pay our way, and the council, from their point of view, needs to become sustainable. In his view, he thinks the way to the path to sustainability is to tax the community further to cover their expenses. And so it's going to end up very badly for everyone. The council expenses grew dramatically once the Australian administration moved in, didn't they? 
That is true, yes. So the council have actually just contracted with a waste management organization, and that's why they're looking for an additional million dollars to pay for the contract. And also the, the federal government had imposed the requirement that no waste gets disposed of in the ocean, which is a which is a, um, a noble objective. But it, it's costing the community an additional million dollars to comply with that. Yeah, these are additional costs that we didn't incur prior to the takeover from the federal government. Um, and also we have a top heavy uh, management structure within the council, which is unaffordable for a small community. A Wellington-based Samoan student who recently won a prestigious writing award hopes her creativity leads to greater change for Pacifica. Tamara Tulitua is this year's Emerging Pacifica Writer-in-Residence at Victoria University of Wellington's International Institute of Modern Letters. The residency will provide her with 15000 New Zealand dollars over three months and access to a mentor. She traces her lineage through the villages of Lefanga and her writing considers identity and belonging. Our reporter Elisha Foon spoke to Ms Tulitua about what the win means to her. Many things, but I think the key thing is space and time. I think that's such, I, I know it's a struggle for most artists, creatives to, to find that space and time when you're sort of juggling so many things in life. But to have like a clear way for three months is huge. Um, just to get in, I know I can actually enjoy the depth of that time as well. Mm. And then um, the mentorship is a huge, um, oh, it's quite exciting. I'm actually in right now trying to think of who I'd like to approach. <laughs> to the mind boggles, to be honest. <laughs> mm. Honestly, it's, it's a huge surprise. I applied more as an ex- exercise in knowing that I need to apply as much, sorry, as many for as many things as possible. It's just a really good practice to get into. And so to actually be awarded this, was so unexpected and incredibly humbling and just a huge boost. I think, you know, it's been a huge lesson to me. Sometimes, you know, you can have a lot of self-belief and I think it's clear to me that's what the creative journey requires. And there's so much that's demanded from yourself, but then to have an endorsement from a community, you know, you care about and that you you want to, you know, you're, you're finding your place in is, I think it's quite invaluable. So... I'm still coming to grips with that. <laughs> um, but there's just very clearly this will for me to succeed. That like a, It actually feels like a swell. I live in Lyle Bay, so everything's sort of related to the ocean. <laughs> so it, it feels like this beautiful groundswell, and it's sort of all I need to do is work. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Absolutely. Now, your writing focuses on identity and belonging and what it means to be a Samoan woman. Will you continue to explore this or cover other topics? Mm, that's a really good question. I think what I'm learning, I mean, I I still feel very much, you know, emergent, you know, fledging in, in, in my career. And there are some things that have def- definitely struck me as, oh, I think this is how this works. And one of them is um, I'm the kind of person who, when I arrive to the page, I have so many intentions and I have so many um, I can't help it. You know, I'm in my 40s, so I've lived a, a lot of lives. And, you know, my heritage is really rich. So those are things that I bring to the, you know, inevitably, you know, you're going to bring your life to the page, let alone your imagination. But there's something quite magical that happens. You know, I can start a story. Let's say I want to write a story about um, 
an advocate for climate change and, you know, a moment in this person's life. I don't know, she was at the UN conference, but it could have very well end up, like this has happened many times, <laughs> it ends up somewhere quite different. Like maybe she's on the bus to UN for a conference and she sees somebody else quite outside of the world and then that's the story there's a story in that and I think that's been a huge lesson in terms for me about writing fiction I come from a legal background so it's a huge learning curve for me to set all of that aside to set aside the rationale and um, the reasoning logical side of my brain um, and let the creative take over so my hope is the reason I've come to fiction and the reason I've chosen to be a creative writer and, and sort of venture out on this journey is because of the open-endedness of it all. I would love, love, love for my work to influence, to bring change in areas that I really deeply care about. But, you know, I, I, I'm very conscious that it's quite out of my control. Like, I don't think that's my job as a writer. I think my job as a writer is, I suppose, seeking and just shaping worlds that come through me and to me. Oh, all the best with that. What will you use the prize money for and what do you hope to accomplish? So I've got an idea of what I'd love to accomplish over three months because it can be, as, on one hand, it's, it's a long time, on the other hand, it's really not. But I think, uh, so on one hand, I've got, a, I do, I've got a manuscript that's, I think now I would consider an early draft of a manuscript that needs revision. But a key goal is to write new work because... I mean, who knows when I can get this sort of opportunity of space again. And I, I've learned from last year that that's when the magic happens a lot for me. The reality of my life, and just like many others, is I have to write in really small pockets of time. For example, like the first half of this year, it's been anywhere between 15 minutes to two hours um, in the twilight hours. Because <laughs> um, I'm a mum and, you know, there's, there's things that have to be done. And so my first priority is new work. So I, it's unlikely that the manuscript itself would be publishable after three months, but I would very much like it to be, you know, well progressed. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. Fa fa tai te le lava, tofa suifu.